Hi, and welcome to Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the Lefemme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who want to learn more about film and television with the experts. Is it so important for them to have a flagship star, a B-level, C-level uh, known entity in their film? And if so, which genres you know, have more weight for that? Do you need to have that star in a horror slasher thriller, psychological thriller, or is it more important in a family drama? I think it depends. De again, it's, 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 you know, a case by case thing, but, you know, I see a lot of films where they've gotten, you know, a C list star or a D list star. They're in the film for two minutes or something like that so that their name can go on the poster or they can be cut into the trailer. That really doesn't add much value to the film. I mean, if it's an A-list star, it does add value because they're instantly recognizable. Um, and even then, you know, perhaps a streamer might take some interest in that. But generally speaking, with that little screen time or that name that really doesn't have the weight that it used to, I think they've spent money where it could have been spent elsewhere because it doesn't. it's not an, a value add. I think for films where you do add some name recognition um, in sort of a lower tiered name is in things like action things like horror films and thrillers in particular, um, drama, not so much. Um, drama is a hard sell anyway, I think, even with sometimes with A-list cast. You know, that's more of a, I think, even though it's a well-known genre, it's more niche, I think, in the independent world, unless you're really going for a film festival run and, you know, high-end film festival run like Sundance and TIFF, which are markets. And I say high-end because they're also markets. Um, but, you know, I think... You know, having someone, like I said, in the film for one or two minutes, unless they're a key component to that script um, and they're appearing on screen as such, it's really not, there's really not necessary to do that and spend that money. So when you get a film uh, across your desk and, and you're asked to view it, what what stands out to you? What are you looking for? So the first thing is I'll look at their assets. So their poster and their trailer, you know, because it shows that this isn't an afterthought. And if there isn't one at all, that's kind of problematic to me. You know, like every trailer, every film needs a poster and a trailer. These are these are aspects that sell to an audience. Um, and so I'll look at those first and I'll see, you know, how much care has been taken and then how much thought has been put into them, um, if they look kind of roughshod. And then I will look at the synopsis because again, this is what audiences are going to look at when they're looking at a film on a platform, streaming or, you know, otherwise, DVD. Um, and then I'll watch the film and things that I'm looking for within that film are, um, you know, I'm looking for production value. So it's not necessarily budget. I don't care what a film's budget was. I've seen seven figure films that were a disaster and I've seen $25,000, $50,000 films that were absolutely wonderful because they were really creative and a lot of care had gone into making them and they understood what they were making. Um, so I'm looking for production value as well, you know, that I can hear what people are saying. You know, sound design seems to be something that it's been passed over a lot for budgetary reasons, but it comes out in the screener. And those are things that can't be fixed in a lab and they're not going to be something that a partner can take. Um, but uh, also that understanding like what a runtime should be. You know, a two and a half hour film shows me that there's poor editing and that there hasn't been the care gone into under like making a, a final cut that's, you know, really broadcast length, that kind of thing. Um, so those are kind of very basic things in terms of, Story, 
If I'm already hooked by the trailer, the poster, and the synopsis, then I'm looking for that to carry through the film. So when I'm sitting there, I want to know that someone in wherever in the United States is going to go, I really want to watch this movie. This is awesome. Another thing that confuses a lot of independent filmmakers is they get so excited, right? They've signed the contract with you. <laughs> and then they get hit with deliverables. They, yes. And they lose <laughs> their cookies. I make it a point, and I think my, my colleagues in acquisitions do as well. We have an, like different delivery schedules. So we have like a North American delivery schedule if the offer is for North America. We have it if it's for DOC. And then we have worldwide if we're looking for international, like full worldwide rights. I think if you don't, aren't getting those and you're in discussions with a distributor, ask them for their deliverable specs so that because a lot of times you're right, they'll get that email and they'll be like, listen, I don't want to talk about what you're going to do with the movie. I am terrified of this document that you just sent me because I don't know what any of this is. Um, and so, you know, getting that information early on, because, you know, if you're not tech savvy or if you outsourced your like post and stuff like that, those are the people that do know this. And all of a sudden the director's got a hard drive and is like, what can I just mail? I mean, I've had that ask, can I just mail in my hard drive? No, like that's not, that's not how it works. So, um, <laughs> it's gotta be a digital upload. So I think, um, that's something else, you know, in the absence of being able to pay like a post supervisor, which I think is pretty luxurious for an independent film, right? If you, Talk to your editor and be like, you know, when they're editing your movie, be like, listen, are you going to be able to assist me with getting this delivered when I get a distribution deal? If you have people that work in media that are just very tech savvy and no specs, ask them because you're going to need somebody. I mean, we have full internal operations um, as well as our lab that assist filmmakers. And I've seen some people that are, you know, it's really like... I mean, Everest would be easier than trying to deliver their film. And it's not their fault. Um, they just, their film, their directors, not editors or post people. Um, and they've gotten their product, they've gotten their films in. But I do, I'm so glad you asked. I do think it is definitely worth a asking the people that you're, you know, that are looking at your film and are making you distribution offers for copies of their delivery schedules um, for the, for the um, area that they're looking for, whether that's North America or worldwide. And making sure that like when you're early on that you have an idea of who can help you deliver your film if you're thinking that you can't do it yourself because it's literally not just mailing in your hard drive. You need to understand someone who, you know, understand like these are very sometimes complex digital uploads. Can we talk about uh, different ways the indie can look for that financing, secure that financing on projects that have marketable legs like a YA movie? Okay. Well, you would want to do, you know, obviously pre-sales would be the first thing, um, you know, and, and that I'll, I'll go backwards for a moment because in order to do any of this, you need a package. And, you know, like what you were talking about with how did Cinderella story come out? Okay. So we had a script ultimately that the studio liked. We then got a director that was somebody the studio liked. He brought in Hillary Duff because he'd been working with her, which was somebody the studio loved. So, we had something that now has value and once it has value you take it out so once you have your material so i would recommend that anybody who has a script has to you you know for an indie film has to make sure that it you know is makeable um makeable at a proper budget and that they have a plan um you know and there are so many of these uh 
even your film festival has, you know, how to, you know, how to learn how to do a business plan, how to package, you know, how to, who to, you know, if you can't do it yourself, who do you go to and what do you need to go to them? So take your script and go figure out, you know, do a budget, do a schedule, um, figure out the cast that makes sense at your budget. You know, you can't go and, you know, look for, hey, we want Brad Pitt. We're making a $3 million movie, um, you know, unless you've written something that, you know, the heavens open up for and you can get it to him and everybody agrees. Um, but, you know, so so you start with your presentation and, you know, you would want to do all of that. You might want to start talking to distributors early and making them your partner and saying, we're looking at these six actors to play our lead. If, you know, what do you think of them? Are they bankable? Are they bankable at 2 million? Are they bankable at 5 million? Are they bankable at a million? You know, figure out what number makes sense. And then, um, you know, and, and how do you do that? You can go to people and say, can you run numbers? You know, which, you know, costs some money. You can figure it out yourself. Roll up your sleeves. I mean, I, I do sales projections as well, which I taught myself how to do. Um, people can do that. Um, you know, cause you've got to show, you know, whoever it is that's going to put up your money, how you're getting it back. So you either go to your rich uncle, you go to companies for pre-sales, you say, I'm going to shoot in Georgia because Georgia has the ability to give me 40% back on my dollar. And I've already spoken to the film commission there and I know they're going to give it to me. Um, a lot of people don't do that and you should. Um, a lot of people say, oh, we're going to use the LA film tax credit, which is practically impossible to get. So anybody who says to me, we're using that, you know, you know, that's not going to happen. So you can say, you know, let's go get some tax. Well, credit. and it's not even, and it's not even favorable. Yeah. And it's not even favorable for anything under a million dollars. So it's like, what? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Canada when it comes to getting their money. I've worked there a lot. I've actually worked for Canadians helping them and done some consulting. So I like that. Um, the difference, though, is you also have to be able to, I call it the friends and family discount, which means if I shoot here in L.A., I know that I can get people to work on my career and work on my staff for me as a favor and be a friend and do it for, you know, a favorable cost rather than going to Canada and having a bunch of people who don't know me. Um, you know, so so there you kind of I always say do a couple different budgets. See what your budget is in Georgia. See what it is in Canada. See what it is at home. Because if I don't have to put actors up in a hotel, I may save myself, you know, 30 grand and that could go to something else. You know, when you're talking about these indie budgets, you know, that are basically somewhere between one five and less, every cent matters. So that's kind of, you know, you've got to just really think about that. But the, those are the things you have to take into consideration in putting your presentation together. So you can then go get foreign sales advances. You can go get, you know, Uncle Bob and his friends who are also dentists with money. You can max out your credit card if you're, you know, passionate, but I don't recommend that one. Um, but it sure does show you believe in it. Uh and that kind of thing. And you put your money together. And that's how you begin. Excellent. Two last questions. Uh, what's your advice for a young filmmaker coming up uh, the ranks? Get on as many films to help others as possible. Make as many friends as possible. And, you know, work as much as you can. If you're a writer, always write. Don't wait for someone to pay you. 
Um, if you are a director, get out there, you know, take your phone. This, this cell phone can actually make a movie, um, you know, get out there, but also be realistic. Um, you know, and when I say be realistic, I think that a lot of kids today I'm finding kids today, um, are out there making those movies and good for them, but you can't be a mainstream Hollywood person, Hollywood person. If you are not willing to, you know, really play in the mainstream, you know, get out there and meet people, find a mentor, you know, find somebody who can introduce you to people and help you and hire you. Um, you know, to me, it's just do the work, know people and don't think you're smarter than everybody else. I've met so many kids today who, you know, have made award winning um, student films who then think that, well, what do I need school for? I'm just going to go make a movie. And many of them have said that to me three years ago and are exactly where I left them. Um, so, you know, you can't really circumvent the rules. And then the most obvious when it comes, by the way, to distribution that I just want to get into is what you do, film festivals. Um, get your movie out there, rack up some awards, get it shown, get in festivals. It's the best place to meet other filmmakers and, you know, get get your movie out there. Great advice. Have you seen that that's kind of where this industry from your side of it is is going? Are, are you noticing that this is kind of the next evolution in distribution? I mean, first and foremost, I, I believe our our business is to um, other businesses um, to license those mm -hmm. films, um, to develop those key relationships with global partners, um, partners in the VOD, DVD space. Um, but but I th it's a new opportunity that um, OTT platforms um, are now um, they're promoting they're promoting themselves they're promoting their films. Um, a lot of companies you're finding are actually starting their own digital platforms. Um, it's not something that we have in in the works, even though we certainly have the library for it. It's um, it's over 400 titles uh, in the U.S. and Canada. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of titles. So we certainly have um, the library for it. But and this kind of goes back to you know what you were saying initially or asking initially about marketing. Um, in order to start a brand new platform, um, you have to have a ton of marketing dollars. You have to have a dedicated team to build that brand out. It's one thing to have the platform and say, "Hey, look at this. It's beautiful," but unless um, you have the the money behind it, like what a big studio would have. Um, it's very, very hard to start your own platform and make it lucrative. So that's why, you know, we, we've not been planning on, you know, on doing that. But um, the idea of being able to reach a consumer opens up a lot of additional opportunities for us. Previously, we had always um, relied on the platforms to promote our films and on the producers to do their, you know, social media, you know, producer dollars going into marketing and ads, things like that, which is fabulous. And at Vision, we have these really great relationships with all of these OTT platforms, Vudu, Fandango Now, Hoopla, just to name a couple of those super, super strong relationships. Tubi is another one, um, and a super incredible um, AVOD platform, which is ad-supported video on demand. So we've relied on them to say, um, you know, hey, guys, this is what we have coming up for the month of February, right? We're going to be focusing on um, Black History Month. We're going to be focusing on romance for Valentine's Day. 
and they would come to us and say this and we would say, okay, great. We've got all of these great films that would fit within those niches. And then on the front page of the platforms, you would see, um, you know, the, the way everything, you know, kind of scrolls over and it would say, you know, romance films or, you know, films with, you know, for women or films with black history elements and things like this. So, so the platforms would really solely be responsible for putting those films out on their front pages. And we're just crossing our fingers, right? Going, okay, I really hope somebody watches this because it's on the front page of the platform. But now, because we'll have our own website um, that's dedicated to a consumer, we it allows us the opportunity to create our own promotions. So, um, for example, we did this over over Christmas. Um, we put ad dollars behind um, a lot of, of um different stunts and promotions that we put up on, um, you know, Facebook and the other social media platforms. Uh, we did a really great one for uh, Valentine's Day. We did a great one for uh, Black History Month. We have March being um, International Women's Month. We have a really exciting um, month for females and female-created content. So now having a place where all of these elements can actually live and we can send consumers to um, we're not sending them off to Fandango specifically or iTunes specifically because, again, everybody wants to reach their content through a different fashion. But we're doing these great promotions that are now living on the site. And it can be okay if you want to see something for women, by women, about women, go here. And now here's this incredible list of all of them. And then you can choose your providers. So it's opening up a lot of new opportunities for us, which we're really excited about. And super, super great from the independent filmmaker standpoint when they get a film under your fold, because that's just another element of them being able to point um, their promotion, their social media and, and seeing a direct result, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. So how do you guys, you know, how do you work with either the independent producer securing a film or the producer's rep like do you do you like one over the other um what's the pros and cons for working for both of those you know entities uh we have a lot of really incredible established relationships with both there are some producers that lisa uh, lisa romanoff who's the ceo and managing director of vision there are several producers that she's worked with over the years on countless films, you know, four or five, 10 different films, the same producer. Um, and those relationships are very important because we know um, that the product they'll be putting out will be a beautiful product. We know that they'll be able to deliver, which is super important. Um, and, and we know that you know, they'll just keep, you know, supplying us year over year with exceptional content because we're doing our jobs as a distributor to make them the money back and they're 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 doing their jobs as the producer to provide us with excellent content um so those relationships are super important and honestly what vision relies on more than um a producer's rep there are a couple of producer's reps that we work with and just this year i believe we've picked up two from um a, a rep there are several from last year and all of the years previously but again it's the couple that we always work with, we know will be good to work with. They're good people. They're going to give us good content. You know, our reporting and everything, they're pleased with the way that we're reporting to them. Uh, their producers are pleased with how they're reporting to them. Um, so, so, so both is the answer. 
Um, for me personally, though, I spend most of my days working with our producers, um, directly with them, onboarding their content, developing their marketing, working with them on social media, developing a PR campaign, um, answering questions for them about the distribution strategy that Vision has, because it's not one of those things that's necessarily taught in film school. And not to say that every producer went to film school, but just how distribution works is is oftentimes just this, you know, it's it's the the wizard behind the curtain. It doesn't it's not something that for your first rodeo you're going to understand. That's true. I spend a lot of time um, working with those producers and just explaining, you know, this is what's going to happen now. And here's what you can do to get prepared. And then three months later, this will happen. And this is how you can get involved. And and it's an entire process. And the distribution machine, there's not just one opportunity for a launch, right? It's not like a theatrical where it's this limited window with an expiration date. Um, video on demand and DVD, there will, throughout the life cycle of, of a film, I mean, years and years, there are all kinds of different windows and opportunities which can provide a new life for the film and put it in front of a new audience. Okay, so now you are moving into your second film. From the point of you finishing your first one, licking some of your wounds and, and you know, catching your breath, when did you start developing and, and moving into that second film? And what was that process like? Um, so at the time, my producing partner and I, we thought right before moving to Los Angeles, we would just uh, try to create something to have, um, you know, a second film that we could do for cheap on the East Coast before moving to L.A. I think we both knew that it would be more difficult to produce something once we got there. So we're kind of in a rush. Like, let's go shoot something in like a week, you know, and, and make another feature for a couple thousand dollars with our friends. It was kind of a crazy idea. It wound up uh, taking only two weeks of shooting and a couple thousand dollars. And um, we got we got it all, you know, in the can, so to speak, and uh, then moved out to L.A. and then started the post-production process on it, uh, which wound up taking a long time, but it did eventually get finished. Uh, I think that the reason it took so long is we didn't have any money for post-production, so I had to learn some new things, some new skills uh, to fix it up. Um and we had to get the right music and that sort of thing. So it, it took a while to find the right people. Right, to finish it up. But that you shot it in the can in a week, and then it was the post-production that really kind of slowed down that process. Yeah, we got it all shot. And I think it was two full weeks and then a couple extra pickup days, so maybe like 16 or 17 days total. It was a pretty short shoot compared to the first one, which I think took about 45. So let's talk about that storyline on the second one, because it's it's it has a similar flavoring to the first one, but it's it's different, you know. So how did you come up with the uh, among them storyline, which was your second one out the gate? Uh, that was written by Evelina Marie. She was my producing partner at the time, and she actually wrote that in about a day, <laughs> a day and a half or something. She like just got the the inspiration to start writing she sat down started writing and i didn't see her until like the next day and then she's like i caught something um 
and then I read it and it was really good. It was really fun. And I, I just added some things. I kind of, uh, we, we went back and forth. I added a, a new character and, uh, we, we adjusted some, some parts of it that I probably can't even remember at this point, but, um, yeah, it was a really fast, write, And basically we were just ready to go. And then we started sending it out to our friends that we were, uh, our actor friends that we knew back in, uh, Boston and, we just hit everybody up and said, hey, what are you guys doing, you know, right after Christmas, right before New Year's, uh, typically a time where people have work off just to see if they'd come out for a week and come film with us. So when you finished it in L.A., when you finally, you know, put that post to bed, did you go back to your same distribution partners? Did you uh, still solicit that around the festival circuit because this is your second film you already have a relationship now working with a sales agent. Yeah, we sent it to Mark uh, Klebanoff over at Odyssey, and he got us our uh, domestic distribution uh, partner again for that, which is a different company this time around, uh, Cinema Epoch. And um, this time around, when we finished it, it was just about, it was 2019, and I was kind of just focused on getting started on something new i think i've been sitting on the film for like too long to really think about sitting on it for another year um trying to do the festival route and then getting distribution after that so i was really eager to just get it out there so we kind of skipped the whole festival route and then it turned out you know the pandemic hit shortly after and all the festivals were closed out for the year so if i had to miss a year of festivals that was probably a good year to miss what would be um, your piece of advice that you can give to a young filmmaker seeking distribution? The first piece of advice is to not give up. Um, you will get many, 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 many more no's than you get yeses. But um, it is a process. And the more people you know and the more involved you are and elevate your art through the relationships you have and what you learn during your path, the better. And um, it makes a difference having, you know, festival awards or even being accepted in festivals. It's it's a big difference because um, the, the volume of content being created has never been, you know, greater than t today and then, you know, tomorrow and next year and so on. You know, the uh, cost of entry to make films is, is just now of so economical that there are many, many, many people um, wanting to be filmmakers. But um, you need to be a good filmmaker, and the good filmmakers will get recognized. Absolutely. And, and you know, keep that faith. And the other point is I wouldn't be locked into... Um, one definition of what your vision of a story might be. So um, you've got a film and it's um, an ins inspired by a childhood event or experience. And that's a piece of fiction that you've done as a live action. Well, maybe it could be an amazing animation or maybe it could be the touchstone for a phenomenal documentary. And that is a conversation that you can have with your colleagues through the, the people you meet at the festival. And then, you know, from my perspective, given that I'm then oriented towards the television world, you know, um, 
how could it be a television series? Well, if it's documentary, is 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 there you know a Tiger King there? And and just you know don't think of it as I've just I've got this story in this modality of storytelling. Great advice. Yeah, great advice. Um, what is a dirty little secret of Hollywood that you wish somebody had told you through your travels and you now recognize going, you know, somebody had told me this like years ago would have been so helpful that you've learned along the way. It's not so much a dirty little secret, but, but, you know, for me, um, I, I'm, I'm an introvert. So, you know, don't be shy. Also, the dirty little secret is don't undervalue yourself. You know, um, don't undervalue it. There will be people that will sweep in and, and, you know, especially if you start to win awards and whatnot, um, and say, you know, oh, we can do this and that for you, but here are the terms. And, you know, you only retain 30% and we're going to retain, well, you know, don't undervaluate yourself. For those that are listening in, the video component will be on the LaFemme YouTube channel. And also the podcast is on all the platforms. So make sure that you rate us and tell us how much you like Best and Fest. And uh, don't forget to DM and uh, make suggestions on who you would like to see or hear on Best and Fest. DM us, ra- rate us, and uh, I'll see you next time on Best and Fest. And we are out. Thank you.